Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris. I said my name right there. That was good. <laughs> Filmmaker, comedian, poor soul who has been beaten down by the abyss of everyday society. <laughs> I am just trying to work and be a good human being and make my dreams come true. But there is a conspiracy out there against me and men of my ilk. <laughs> so you were so focused on trying to get to that impression that you couldn't even pronounce your own name. What is in a name, Josh? It is just a label that society or the paternal matriarch and patriarchy have given you. It's going to be a two-hour so, episode. I can already yeah, tell. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a journey here in this episode. So, why is Jason doing his uh, acceptable adequate? I think it's adequate, right? Yeah. You know, especially not many people do it. So, you know, it's right, okay. right. That's right. I think more do it now. Um, it's built up over time, but that is in case you didn't get it, uh, Werner Herzog. That Jason is imitating there, and that is because in this episode of our season on the films of 1977, we're talking about our foreign film pick, and it is a Werner Herzog film. It is Strosek, which is one of Herzog's most acclaimed films, uh, especially over time. It was, was acclaimed at the time as well, but I think has built a reputation over the years it's somewhat somewhat early in his career, but as he is now, was at the time also very prolific. So he'd made quite a few movies even up to this point. And it's a movie that that was sort of a maybe a transition of sorts in getting him the awareness of more American audiences. Because while this is a German film and uh, maybe a little more than uh, or not quite half of it takes place in Germany, uh, it eventually involves the German characters traveling to the U.S. and features Herzog's unique perspective on the United States, I guess we could say. No, he's uh, he's uh, a mythic character that uh, if you wrote him as a fictional um, piece, you'd be like, that's not real. But he is real. And he, he is real. crazy stuff and like this movie. <laughs> yes. And the world is better because Werner Herzog is real, I think. We all agree um, on that. Yes. So this film, uh, again, as I've said a few times, it's not always easy to find box office numbers from 1977, and I'm not sure how well it did uh, financially, but it did get a decent-sized release in the U.S. I mean, there were a lot of major critics that wrote about it in various publications uh, all around the country, so it was certainly seen in theaters in the U.S. and was generally well-regarded. Also, in terms of the American connection, it was produced by a couple of American documentary filmmakers who had worked with Herzog, Errol Morris and Les Blank. Uh, it was originally intended as a sort of collaboration with Errol Morris, where they were going to dig up the grave of Ed Gein's mother, because that's what these people do. Um, this Gein, sounds this, like a Werner Herzog project. Yes. <laughs> the serial killer... Uh, who had, I think he had killed his mother and she's buried in, in Wisconsin in, in the town where I think some of this movie was shot. Yeah, Plainfield, but right? Yes, Plainfield, Wisconsin. That didn't happen. Errol Morris um, didn't show up, I guess, which seems also strange. So <laughs> instead, Werner Herzog made this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, there's all these stories about that. Like, because, you know, I'm sure you're going to talk about Bruno S., the star and Originally, he was supposed to be in uh, the other similar-sounding 
Herzog. Uh, Wojcik. right. And this is Strozek. And uh, Herzog said to, to Bruno that uh, that, that Wojcik has to be Klaus Kinski, which, you know, what a, what a, a duo those two are right there, you know. But uh, Bruno was so uh, disappointed that uh, Werner Herzog wrote this movie in like four days for him, which is often based on Bruno's real life experiences. Exactly. And Bruno had previously been the star of The Enigma of Caspar Hauser, a previous Herzog movie, which is a period piece and is not based on Bruno's life. And I have not seen. Have you seen that or have you seen Wojcik or any of these other early Herzogs? No, this is probably the furthest back. I mean, I, I, I think... To be honest, you and I are very much more um, familiar with Herzog as a documentarian um, and then now as a pop cultural figure. But um, yeah, so this is this is really uh, kind of exciting to go back to the beginning of the madness or this is the mid madness, early mid madness, early type to, of madness. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah uh, early to mid madness. And, and yeah, this was a point at which Herzog, although he'd also, I think, had started making documentaries and a lot of his stuff kind of blurs that line. As you said, a lot of the details in this movie were inspired by Bruno's own life. But I think Herzog at the time here was known more as a narrative filmmaker. He was part of this kind of German new wave, um, as some of the press mentions at the time, along with Rainer Werner Fassbinder and uh, Wim Wenders, both of whom were making movies at this time and achieving a lot of international acclaim. But Herzog is definitely his own thing. And in addition to all of those other documentary elements, I love that uh, the character of the the American nephew of the old German guy in the movie, Clayton, who's a mechanic, is played by a mechanic who helped Werner Herzog with his car. So <laughs> Werner Herzog came to the US and Errol Morris stood him up and instead, he cast his mechanic in this movie. <laughs> well, as we know, a few years ago, Herzog uh, helped someone from, I think, like a burning car on the side of a highway in L.A. So maybe that person will be the star of an upcoming feature from Herzog. So. I, you know, it, it's hard to tell if that's a joke or not, because that could absolutely happen. And that's that's just been the way that he's worked throughout his career. A lot of the people, I think a lot of the American performers in this movie were non-actors. Bruno S. himself, of course, is not really an actor other than his appearances in Herzog movies. He never really worked as an actor. He was, he was, a, not, he was not in a Fassbinder film or two? I don't know that he was. Uh, Eva Matis, who plays Eva the prostitute in this movie, who's kind of the third lead along with Bruno and uh, Mr. Scheitz, the old man, she was in a bunch of Fassbinder movies. Um, gotcha. gotcha. And, and Herzog movies. And was married or at least was partnered with Herzog. Yeah, they have uh, a personally. kid. They have a yes. daughter or something. Yeah. So another blurring of the professional and the, and the personal there for And um, you can uh, rent the birth of their child. Uh, with specific DVD commentary from Herzog. Uh, is that is that true? No, of course not. But it could be. Because <laughs> this is the thing. It's hard to tell what's a joke and what's real. Because you say that. And the only thing I thought in terms of was that true is like, well, if that kid was born in the 70s, like how would they have shot that? <laughs> yeah, he could have, uh, you know, got a camcorder. And then as she poked her head out, 
I thought to myself, this was the best it will ever be for your child. It is all downhill from here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But again, Herzog was not quite that figure yet, but I think people did have a sense of his strangeness even at this time. And critics mostly... Well, uh, Josh, why would anyone have a sense of his strangeness with all the background details you gave on this? Oh, we're going to dig up a serial killer's mother's bones. We're um, going to just cast this mechanic. And uh, I wrote this movie in four days because I uh, <laughs> told my star he can't star in another movie, so I made this about him instead. Why would anyone think there's something strange about this guy? Plus, then we didn't even talk about what has actually happened in the film yet. Right. Well, yeah, what actually happens in the film, I think, is what you would why you would understand Herzog's strangest. I don't know how much of that background info was uh, known to people at the time who were seeing this movie because it was, you know, coming over from Germany and they may not have gotten all of those details. But certainly the movie itself is very strange, even in its, I mean, it basically, you know, the basic plot summary, the idea of these three kind of down and out Germans who come to the U.S., to Wisconsin to seek a new life sounds fairly straightforward, but it's not. Um, So critics, though, uh, mostly maybe were baffled but intrigued by this movie. Vincent Canby in the New York Times said, among other things, Mr. Herzog visually dazzles us while he's pulling the rug from under our feet. In a Herzog film, we have to keep checking what we are hearing against what we're seeing. They are seldom the same things, but forcing us to reconcile contradictions is one of the ways in which he works. Strozik is described by Mr. Herzog as a ballad, which is probably as good a way as any to categorize it initially. It's a road picture. In some distant way, it reminds me of Easy Rider, but it's an Easy Rider without sentimentality or political paranoia. It's terrifically, spontaneously funny, and just as spontaneously, full of unexpected pathos. I saw quite a few references to this movie being funny, which I I didn't really feel that way. Dave did though. Dave, you thought yeah, it was funny. I definitely did. Yeah. I, you know, we'll get into how I thought about it, you know, in the next <laughs> segment, but uh, yeah, no, I thought there was plenty of humor in it. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's, there's some dry humor, but I, I, I thought, I thought of the pathos more than the comedy. I mean, it's, it's absurd, but in a sort of sad way rather than a funny way to me. Sure. What is the difference between sadness and happiness in the long run anyway? <laughs> I agree, Werner. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I did just, I saw some other, this is totally unrelated, but I saw some other movie recently in which a character is listening to this like Buddhist monk talk about philosophies on life. And the monk says, one of the ways to be happy is to enjoy being sad. I thought that was kind of yeah. Herzogian in its own there way. There you go. I keep telling my therapist that. <laughs> yeah. How does that, how does that go for you? She upped my dosage. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. So. Yeah. So, and it did, again, I like that it it reached the mainstream to the point where People Magazine reviewed this movie, unbylined short reviews in People Magazine, but People Magazine said, a pathetic, oft-jailed Berlin street musician emigrates to Wisconsin with his streetwalker girlfriend and an eccentric old man. All three discover America holds little worth having. That is the plot. But the film's real strength lies in German director Werner Herzog's ability to convey his character's moods visually. Haunting background music by Chet Atkins and Sonny Terry deepens the enjoyment of this lyrical film. And I mean, the background music, the, the music is definitely deliberately like very American. I don't know if it was haunting. Maybe it was the way that it juxtaposes with the sad lives of these characters yeah. that makes it sort of haunting. Yeah, the music's not haunting, but the, you know, kind of Americana, rah-rah 
feeling to it against the foreseeable not pleasant outcomes for everyone involved like that's what that would that's what i think they mean by that right and it's it's really about this this sort of disappointment of the american dream and that they have this idea of america and what it's going to mean for them and it doesn't work out that way for anybody i mean and for and for post-war germans to be disappointed that's really disappointing <laughs> right i mean i think i saw i saw somewhere i don't remember where it was where someone talked about how this movie is 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 generally known as as being critical of the american dream in america but the germany does not come off well here either i mean the first 40 minutes or so of this movie where they're living in berlin it doesn't look very pleasant there either no the only ones who do well seemingly are the pimps Yes, so the pimps are, are succeeding and uh, and Clayton, the mechanic, maybe is doing all right. Um, so yeah, not everyone was into it. Gary Arnold in the Washington Post wrote a very long review in which he spends most of his review railing against this German new wave of Herzog and Fassbinder and vendors and how he feels it's entirely empty and that other critics have been sort of hoodwinked by it. And he's much more into the new Hollywood of Spielberg and Scorsese and De Palma. But relevant to this actual movie, which he does get to eventually, um, he says, the inimitable Bruno S., who made an indelibly peculiar impression as the founding Casper Hauser in an earlier Herzog film, has been reunited with his discoverer for this dogged, obstinately despairing parable about the hopeless situation of the pure at heart in a harsh, indifferent world. Herzog doesn't justify Bruno's assertions dramatically. He may flatter himself that some form of social betrayal has been illustrated when he shows the bank repossessing Bruno's mobile home, but this episode looks like a joke to Americans who will never be able to figure out how Bruno got a bank loan in the first place. In some perverse way, Herzog would probably prefer to see his despised and rejected characters remain despised and rejected because it's their abject misery alone that seems to affirm their humanity in his eyes. I think he's being harsh on Herzog. I, I don't know, even though as is there's the, this sense of Herzog as kind of existential nihilist, I don't think he's unsympathetic to the people he portrays. I mean, does this guy have a job as a Trump speechwriter now? <laughs> Just, you know, crushing immigrants and their goals and everything about them, you know. So, yeah, of course, if he's going to rail against a whole movement and an artistic movement in another country, like, chances are we're probably not going to agree with him. Yeah, uh, I mean, and and I will we'll get into this more. I definitely didn't love this movie, but I think he is far too hard on it, and and in a misguided way. And I think what he's talking about, the idea of we wonder how Bruno got a bank loan in the first place, and that's sort of part of the point is that you can come to the U.S. and the banks will happily loan you money so that they can repossess your stuff later. They'll yeah. screw you over happily, and yeah. I think that was part of the point. Hopefully, this dude was still alive in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, and then his question could have been answered for him a mere 30 years later. <laughs> That's all you have to do is wait that long and he'll, he'll find out. So yeah, as we said, we hadn't seen this film before, but certainly had seen other Herzogs and were, were familiar with his peculiarity going into this. I feel like no matter how familiar you are with, with Herzog's weirdness, you can still find new weirdness in seeing a Herzog movie. And that's the beauty of it. And, um, you know, however you feel, I feel like 
they're all worth exploring in their own ways, aren't they? So like, yeah, I wouldn't say that they aren't. I'm not with Gary Arnold from the Washington Post on that. So yeah. any, any other weird background things that you found that you mm-hmm. want to share here, Jason? Not weird. Apparently Siskel watched it in 1978 and it was number 10 on his list of uh, best movies of the year uh, that year. So yeah, I'll give you a weird background. I actually had to write this quote down because it was so strange. And yeah. it was on IMDb, so maybe it's not true. But um, but this is, if you've never heard of Werner Herzog, this pretty much sums it up. Werner Herzog invited editor Biete Menka Jellinghouse to the set to oversee continuity. Known to highly dislike Herzog's movies, which is already, this is my personal aside, it's strange that he would invite her. You know. Or or it's exactly what you would think Herzog would Right, do. right, exactly. <laughs> uh, known to strongly dislike Herzog's movies with the exception of even Dwarfs Start Small, she was disgusted by the scenes that she started to signal the camera operator to stop shooting. Infuriated by this, Herzog threatened to hit her with a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if threatening violence against women is exactly what we want uh, to praise him for. I, I assume he did not actually hit her with a shovel. No, and I don't think this has anything to do with her being a woman. I think he would have had anyone. He would hold, hit anyone with a shovel yeah, is what you're saying. If you, if you mess with uh, what he's trying to accomplish artistically. Look, obviously we're not uh, condoning the threat of uh, violence towards women or anybody but you totally in the 70s could see herzog if someone messed with his shot saying if you do this again i will hit you with the shovel <laughs> you know like, yes yes that's all okay. i'm saying is it but the whole sentence is like one detail after the next is weirder like let's me get the woman who most despises my films to oversee continuity <laughs> you know and like you know it's just a, a very um Herzogian thing is what I thought when I read that quote. It is. And I guess there's a lot of revolts. I mean, we to jump way ahead to the the end of the movie, which is is iconic. Uh, all of these weird sort of almost like carnival games with these trained animals. And supposedly, I read this also maybe yeah, on Wikipedia. The, crew, the whole crew refused to shoot it. Right? right. So Herzog had to shoot it himself. And it turned out great. I mean, that's that's the thing that's singled out by almost every review and, and positive response to this movie is is the craziness and the the, the indelible ending there. But yeah, so and Herzog himself said it's the best scene he ever shot. So but just to go back to what you were saying, Josh, I bet you Herzog would have threatened to hit every single crew member with a shovel. He would. He would just go all around the entire crew and hit them each yeah. with a shovel. He, he doesn't see. Um, he doesn't see. You know, sex, race, religion, uh, any any type of barriers. If you mess with this film, he'll hit you with a shovel yeah, <laughs> or threaten just, to hit you with a shovel. Is what. We're yeah. Saying. That's 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 how he is, and, so. and he just happens to have a shovel with him at all. Of course, well, he's got. He was supposed to. He was supposed to <laughs> dig up Ed Gein's mother's, you know, body. There so how go. how are you going to do that without a shovel, Dave? So. Right, you can't rely on Errol Morris to bring the shovel. Obviously, Errol Morris is completely unreliable. You can't even it. rely on Errol Morris to bring Errol Morris. Right, so he didn't even show up. So, <laughs> well, there, there's. This is all extraneous, so we'll come back in a moment and talk about the movie itself with our general thoughts on Strosek. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1977, we've been talking about our foreign film pick, Werner Herzog's Strosek. 
And in the background, we were talking a lot about Herzog himself as this larger-than-life character and all the crazy stuff that he does to create his movies. But the movie itself is crazy. Even if you don't know anything about Herzog and what he's like as a person and, and what his artistic process is, and you just watch this movie as a movie, it's fucking nuts. <laughs> I think we can agree. <laughs> Uh, okay. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. Yeah. Yeah. This this definitely, you know, seems, um, up Dave's alley with some of the kind of, uh, Richard Stanley, Nicolas Cage, uh, fandom that you have, Dave. Yeah. So it's, uh, Bruno gets out of jail. Is it jail or is it like a mental institution? I thought it was jail, but either way he told his cellmates he didn't want to leave, which was, I thought cute. Like he wanted to stay, uh, his Mm -hmm. landlord, um, who you mentioned, Clemens, Shites, I think, or Sheets? Yeah, Shites, um, yeah. Who's delightful. I love him in this movie. He's just um, a delightful old man. He's been uh, watching Bruno's minor bird and kept his apartment ready for him for his return, you know? So. Yeah, it seems like a very poor financial decision as a landlord to just hold this apartment for this guy who's been imprisoned for two years. Yeah, and, um, you know, the I guess you would say the warden tells Bruno to stop drinking, so the first thing he does is go to a bar and get a drink and yes. meets up with Eva, who they seem to have some type of past together. And now she's a prostitute. Maybe she was before. I don't know. They move in together. Pimps beat them both up. Things aren't good in Germany. Uh, Scheitz says his nephew in Wisconsin has agreed to have him live out the rest of his life there. So uh, so Bruno and Eva are like, can we come along? And then he's like, hey, good news. My uh my nephew said there's plenty of uh, space and jobs. You can be a waitress and you can work in the mechanic shop and you'll get a home and it'll be great. So they go, they go to New York. Uh, there's a great scene in there where, you know, you think you're seeing the beginning of the American dream and then they cut to Bruno and he says basically, and he's so sad and he's holding an empty cage and he says, what kind of country would take Bruno's minor bird, right? Like, so. Yeah, and what we, we're, we're left to wonder what exactly is the fate of the minor bird. Like, did they <laughs> they confiscated it? Did they did they kill it? Did they just keep it? Like, I feel like they confiscated it like you would an exotic animal if you brought it to another country. Right? And then, and then, but then where does it go? Does it go to a zoo? Like, what happens to the minor bird after the uh, authorities take it at the airport? That's what I, I really know. don't know. I don't know. And then we're on a road trip and um, it's kind of like, like you said, Josh, Herzog's fun uh, version of an American road trip, yeehaw, through the country, right? Until we get to the wonderfully named town, Railroad Flats, yes, which is where uh, Clayton lives. And, uh, and then they try to make life happen in Wisconsin. And that's, that's uh, where I'll let you take it from, Josh. Yeah, it doesn't go well. Although, to be fair, Clayton... He initially holds up his end of the bargain. There is a lot of space. One thing there is a lot of in Wisconsin is space, it turns out. It's and, a beautiful uh, state. Probably the second most beautiful state I've ever been to. Yeah. I don't think you get that from this movie. If, if there was one thing that I learned from this movie is it would be like, never go to Wisconsin, I think. <laughs> well, it's no, it's beautiful. It's uh, green. And the other thing I could tell you about it, like literally Hawaii is the only other state that I thought, oh, is prettier than Wisconsin. The other thing I can tell you about it has more indoor water slides than any state I've ever been to. And I've been to 40 out of the 50, Josh, so. Wow, okay. Um, well, no water slides in this movie. I, no. I would, love, I would love to see Herzog make a water slide-based movie. But there would be, uh, you know, you referenced the last sequence, which has a ski lift. 
That's if true. If there was a water slide in this movie, you would have been like, sure, that makes perfect sense. You know, no, no. Yeah, well, I no feel foul. like anything in this movie would make perfect sense because it would make no sense. And that's what makes perfect sense in a Herzog movie. So, uh, but it does sort of seem like they're going to maybe achieve a weird version of the American dream at first. They do get jobs. Eva goes to work in a in a truck stop diner, and she seems happy about it. And for a little while, she's not a prostitute anymore. And she speaks English, so it works out well for her. Bruno does not. And it's it's unclear whether Mr. Scheitz speaks English. There are certain scenes... He understands English. But he doesn't speak it. But there's also other scenes where people are talking to him in English, and he doesn't appear to understand. So it was not clear to me how much he quite got. And maybe if, whether it was about him not understanding English or just about him being sort of a old man who has lost it a bit, especially later in the movie when he picks up some sort of electric meter yeah. and decides to test everyone. For my their- favorite, this is my favorite part of the movie. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. My two favorite parts are watching uh, Bruno play the kind of old song where he's like, happy in like the streets of Berlin. I thought that was great on the, I guess he was on a, was it a accordion or a harpsichord or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's an accordion. And he also plays like a glockenspiel, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was great. I really love that. And um, the other was that Scheitz, just out of nowhere, you get a whole side story of how he's a, I guess a mesmerist slash, uh, he believes in animal magnetism, which is the idea of that every person place thing anything animal has like a vibration to it and um there could be some type of medical or scientific value to it and there's no reference to this until an hour in and then all of a sudden he's like in the field like you know just kind of doing this and claiming that he um proved his point and he knew that from a child this would be his great his achievement at some point in his life he would achieve this like i love that what 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 I don't understand, but yeah, it's great. So. Yeah, it's it's certainly what. Um, <laughs> and there's a scene where he's, because he's got this little meter that he has decided will measure animal magnetism. And there's a scene where, and this was the one where I wasn't sure if he was meant to understand English, where he encounters these two hunters and he starts talking to them in German and they're talking to him in English and he wants to measure their animal magnetism and he does. And I think that scene again, with the the sort of Herzog blurring between reality and, and, and fiction is a scene where they just had Mr. Scheitz himself go up to some real hunters and start talking to them in German and Herzog filmed it. Yeah, and I, I was reading about him. And again, like we said, he's writing things based on Bruno's life. Scheitz was a musician and an inventor. And I bet this came straight from his life. I... Would believe it, certainly. So, um, yeah, Eva Mattis is the only, like, traditional actor among the main characters, or really among any of the characters, I think, because even the Americans, like, again, like Clayton, who was plays the nephew, who was a real mechanic that Herzog found. Um, I did also find it amusing. I love, and I, I assume this guy probably is a real actor, but maybe not, the the guy from the bank, who's just the 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 great, like, stereotype of the sleazy bank guy who comes in and pretends to be all friendly and is, oh, we just want to help you. And we just want to make sure. And he clearly Bruno does not understand a word that he's saying. And yet he just barrels through his little speech and gets Bruno to sign something so that he can repossess Bruno's house, his his mobile home. So everything's going all right for a while. And like you said, he's working as a mechanic, but he is not achieving his American dream. He's not getting rich. 
He's not playing music from what we can see. She's working as a waitress. They're falling behind on payments for their mobile home. And uh, then she returns to hooking and she makes a ton of money and kind of gets them back on track. But there's a very strange type of situation where like she just wants a room to herself, which is understandable. But she's also like, hey, I'm still with you. I just need my own space. Like, but this is too much for him to take. And eventually she just kind of runs off with two truckers to Vancouver and he's left alone and just gets drunker. And they, like you said, they sell his mobile home and then he commandeers a truck from the, a tow truck from the, uh, and then we're getting to the big end sequence from the, um, from the garage where he's working and he and Scheitz, uh, Scheitz now thinks there's a whole conspiracy against them and, they're going to go rob the bank, but the bank isn't open, so they just rob a barber instead. And then, of course, they just walk across the street because why wouldn't you after you rob someone? And I mean, go, now you got money, so you got to go buy groceries. Yeah, with your so, money. The, so they're buying groceries, and Scheitz is actually looking to shop, and and uh, Bruno just gets a turkey, a giant frozen turkey, you know. And uh, the cops just come in, they're like, "You, you're under arrest for armed robbery," and they take Scheitz away. But uh, Bruno, they don't. And Bruno buys his turkey, gets some beers. And uh, I think that's when he gets the, uh, the truck. The, so he gets the truck after the armed robbery. And then uh, he goes on his perhaps last road trip, Josh. Yeah, well, definitely, I think, last road trip. And of course, <laughs> what do you need on your road trip except a gun, a frozen turkey, and some beer? But I think that's what probably Herzog and uh, it was like, what are the three most American things you can do? <laughs> exactly. And, exactly. And Josh, if you said that today, like, would he be that far off? I guess not. I don't know. I guess frozen turkey represents like Thanksgiving. Yeah, kind it's of. Thanksgiving. Yeah, so he's I, got this big American holiday and fat Americans overeating <laughs> all the time. Right? You got your beer because, you know, uh, you have your freedom. And Germans love I mean, beer, too. I mean, right. I was right? going to say, it's not like Germans don't love beer. But most importantly, you got your big gun, you know, and that's mm -hmm. that's America. So, you know. Um, that That it is. That so he goes is. to this small, I would say, Native American town where I think they shot this in North Carolina. Some yeah, type of touristy I, I, town, right? I was confused. I thought he was trying to drive to Vancouver to chase down Eva, but I guess That's not. what I thought, too. But and maybe he was, we don't know, but he's driving. It doesn't say specifically, but the the truck kind of breaks down and, um, you know, he kind of sets it in this whirling path to catch on fire. And he goes to this um, amusement. -y, uh, it's not really a park. It's just like almost like a weird arcade with animals. Like you said, a dancing chicken and a, and a, a rabbit who's driving a fire truck like but in a little, you know, like kind of booth like not not like a rabbit right. it's really horrible animal captivity and torture going <laughs> yeah on here. yeah yeah so and, i mean uh, do you realize the reason the chicken dances is because that's like a hot plate that it's on and it's burning its feet so it has to constantly like lift its feet up to avoid getting burned yeah it's 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 horrendous and uh <laughs> bruno starts the uh ski lift and takes the gun with him and as the cops get closer you hear a gunshot and uh i mean i think you assume that he killed himself. I, I do. Do you not? Look, man, I don't want to think about it. So, no, of course, he probably did kill himself, Sam. 
I mean, I feel like that's the only outcome of this movie that we've been building at this point to the idea that Bruno's life is just this series of disappointments that he probably would have been better off staying in in prison or in this asylum for criminals or whatever exactly it is that he's in in the beginning where he seems relatively happy. As you say, he tells his cellmates he doesn't really want to leave. The warden seems like he's he likes Bruno and they're kind of friendly with each other and he's got a predictable life there. And hey, Mr. Scheitz is holding on to his apartment apparently for as long as necessary. So, yeah, yeah. you know, he could have, he could have just stayed there. And yet his life, even though he, I guess, has a connection with Eva for a little while and they seem to sort of care about each other, that doesn't go well for him. The American dream doesn't go well for him. He's stuck in a country that he doesn't know anything about where he doesn't speak the language. And it's just, it's just a tragedy really. Yeah. But he also says that he would have been better off staying in Berlin after he got out of prison and things were horrible for him then, you know, like, uh, and there seemed to be no way we knew that he was making money and the pimps were beating him up. And, um, it was, uh, so I, I think maybe this, no matter where, no matter where he was, or this was the outcome for, for Mr. Bruno S in this film. Yeah. It's uh he's a sad sort of character. And I mean, this movie is is certainly interesting and strange, and I appreciate Herzog's commitment to whatever weird artistic vision he comes up with at any time. I don't know that I really enjoyed watching this movie, though, honestly. I felt like it just kind of, it's a, it's very, I mean, maybe on purpose, it feels very disjointed. It feels very like we made it up as we went along, and we're in Berlin, and there's pimps, and oh, and now we're going to go to America, and we went to New York, and now we're going to Wisconsin, and now we're doing this, and oh, wait, we're going to go to this amusement kiosk thing at the end. And it just feels sort of haphazard. And well, he did write I, it in four days, Josh. Right. And that's fine. But I mean, you watch the movie and you're not sort of grading it on a curve because of that, or I don't think that you should. And I don't think that people are. I mean, I think people who love this movie just love it, just think it's great. And I just couldn't, I mean, I, I'm glad I saw it and I appreciate, again, Herzog's unique visions and I'd love to see more of them, but this just this didn't really quite do it for me. Yeah, I can understand that. And um, I do think what you're saying, like he took chunks of Bruno's life. Schleinstein, maybe is how you pronounce it. Schleinstein, I think. Yeah. He never, apparently it was like a big, he was always just credited as Bruno S. And it wasn't until like later in his life that he revealed his real name. Like it was some big secret or something. Well, yeah, but a lot of like (laughs) this, well, it was because right. Wasn't he at an orphanage where they like beat him as a kid and everything like that. Like we learned that. Yeah. And he, he too lived in an asylum for like 23 years of his life, I think, or something like that. Schleinstein or Schleinstein is his yeah. Name. So yeah, a lot of it's based on his experiences, and then I think, like you said, the other part could just be like you know, I heard about this place in North Carolina where animals are dancing for the amusement of patrons. They are cruel to the animals, but this is part of human nature. As long as they are amused, they do not care about other living beings. We must film a sequence there. And like you said, everyone was like, no, dude, we're, we're not going to do that. And he's like, I will do it to myself. And as uh, we learn throughout Herzog's career, he had this would not be the only time he had to uh, face the odds and do something uh, seemingly without the uh, help of others. Right. Although I think at this point, people now try, if Herzog says he's going to do something that seems ridiculous, now people yeah, will say, it's whimsical oh, yeah, let's and do fun it. and, you know, it's Herzogian, right? Right. But yeah, I think that pretty much uh, sums it up. I kind of agree with you. I'm glad I saw it. I didn't 
love it. I don't know if I liked it. I like talking about it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I think that's it's a it's a it's a strange and interesting film, and there's a lot to potentially unpack there with the the way it approaches the American dream and all that. I wanted to ask, what did you think of Bruno as an actor? I thought he was fine. I thought he was t- completely fine. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I realize he's sort of a non-actor and he's meant as a character to be this awkward, uh, strange guy, but it, it seemed almost like he was, uh, uncomfortable being on camera to me. And I don't know if I quite bought into that as a performer. I think I felt like I was always aware that he wasn't a performer, that he was, he was sort of trying to fit into a space in the movie, just like Bruno is trying to fit into a space like in the world that didn't quite fit him. So maybe it's appropriate. Maybe that's what people love about him though. Yeah, maybe because, you know, like you said, he did, he, over his uh, collaborations with Herzog, he did receive a lot of acclaim and everything. So that he um, did, you know, yeah, I had no problem with him. In fact, I saw this quote from Herzog. I don't know if you saw it, but um, after Bruno died, he said, in all my films and with all the great actors with whom I have worked, he was the best. There is no one who comes close to him. I mean, in his humanity and the depths of his performance, there is no one like him. Which is pretty, I mean, amazing considering you think of like all of his work with Klaus Kinski, right? So, Yeah, I did see that quote. And in fact, I, I was going to read it, but it's much better that you read it in the Herzog voice. I tried. So. I think I might have lost it there a little. <laughs> but anyway... Let's rate this thing, Josh. What do you want to rate this one out of? Uh, accordions, should we rate maybe? Um, that's That seems okay. pleasant. More pleasant that's, than... I that's, guess that's, that's a happy one. better than chairlift yeah. suicides. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a two and a half. Uh, again, respect it. Didn't actually like it, though. Two and a half here, too, but recommend you watch it. Dave, I think you liked this more than we did. I did. Yeah. I'm going with the three and a half for it. I, I liked it a lot. And I, I kind of want to revisit it one day too. When we were talking about it, you, you before, I, when I was in the middle of watching it, you just told me how much you love the ending. You want to talk about that for a minute? I, I just think just the way that it starts off like really weird. I'm talking about the ending specifically, not the entire movie. Although of course it is weird the whole time, but the way that that ending starts off strange with him, you know, showing up to that little town with the turkey and the gun and the beer and just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds from there. It gets crazier and crazier and crazier. I mean, that's a hell of an ending, you know? It is something where you are watching it and every moment of it, it's like, what now? And yeah. And, and I, again, I appreciate that. I, I think by that point, I was just like, I don't know what the hell is this movie and I'm ready for it to end. But uh, it definitely was uncomfortable because he kept like the focus on those animals performing these tasks for longer than he needed to. Right. And again, mm-hmm. I think you realize, or at least I realize, like these animals are not happy about what's happening it's an uncomfortable thing certainly to see yeah. that thought certainly crossed my mind i didn't like that but now yeah i mean that's and i think that's what herzog is all about in a lot of his films is about whether it's a documentary or a fiction film is about making the audience uncomfortable and and uh, he accomplishes that here so good for him yeah and also good for him for not hitting any of his crew members with a shovel absolutely so we'll talk more about the wonders of herzog when we come back and get into the legacy of Strosik. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this episode of our season on the films of 1977. We've been talking about our foreign film pick, Werner Herzog Strosik. 
And I mean, obviously Herzog is so prolific and so acclaimed and has such a weird range of movies. I mean, we could do, you could do a whole podcast series just about Herzog's films and the, the impact that he's had on cinema. So obviously this was early in his career. He's continued on in a series of acclaimed films, documentaries, as well as fiction films. He's still working very steadily. He's got two movies that have come out just this year alone. I don't know, Jason, do you have a particular Herzog favorite that you would want to single out here? I'm going to pick two, and they're both from the documentary side, because like I said, we both need to kind of dig deeper on the narrative side. One is Burden of Dreams, which is the making of Fitzcarraldo, which is if you want to get to the height of like the Werner Herzog insanity and everything he tried to do, like, oh, I don't know, pull an entire... uh, ship up a mountain to make a movie you know like and get like um amazonian native tribes to help him do this like it's an insane movie and then i mean everyone knows grizzly man but i really liked encounters at the end of the world where he goes to antarctica and like kind of studies uh what people are doing down there yeah i mean i i'm with you i'm more familiar with his documentary work and more familiar with his more recent work just in general rather than earlier in his career Uh, as we've been talking about here. Burden of Dreams, of course, not directed by Herzog, but directed by Les Blank, who is one of the producers on Strosik. So they had a a long collaboration. It's it's insane, though, Burden of Dreams. Have you seen it? Yeah. I haven't seen it, actually, nor have I seen Fitzcarraldo. I have, I mean, in terms of early Herzog, I have seen uh, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, with Klaus Kinski, which is another movie about an insane person uh, starring an insane person. So Yeah, and um, then, uh, mm -hmm. and we should mention, you know, like, you know, we're not making light, and we always sadly have to say this now, but, you know, there are all these allegations that have come out against Klaus Kinski since his death, and we're not making light of any of that. We're just talking about this from the artistic um, kind of uh, partnership that these two had at some point. Right. And I mean, I think Herzog is clearly drawn to these people who are unstable in some ways, and maybe sometimes they're unstable in more lovable ways like Bruno, I suppose. And then it could turn out that they're unstable in in more dangerous ways like Klaus Kinski was. Um, But Aguirre, again, is about this. It's a a period piece. It's about a, a, I think, Spanish or French conquistador who goes to South America and is determined to find El Dorado and he goes insane and his whole crew, they die. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy undertaking as a film and as a story. I do tend to prefer the documentary stuff. And, and as we said, he's Herzog himself has become kind of this pop culture figure. And now if you watch one of his films, you expect to hear that voiceover from him and maybe see him on screen talking about whatever craziness he's discovered. Grizzly Man, I think, is is still the the like gold standard of that, yeah, and I'm and, pretty sure that's, that's the, the first Herzog movie I ever saw. Yeah, we uh, didn't. We I think we probably saw that together in the theater, but it's uh, haunting as well. And uh, you know, with these early kind of narratives, like you kind of look, and I think he um, made things uh, as difficult as possible for himself. Like that was part of like you know, the struggle of filmmaking that he wanted to, uh, that he needed for his artistic, you know, vision, I guess. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I think he he prides himself and maybe uh, too much on sort of pushing these boundaries and putting himself in danger. I know there's an early documentary that he made and I can't think of the title of it now. It's just a, it's a short documentary. And like the documentary itself is about the idea there's this volcano that's about to erupt and I forget it where exactly. And the film is about this one old man in this village that is supposedly in the path of the volcano and the one old man has refused to evacuate even though everyone else has evacuated. But of course, in order to film this, Herzog had to go to the town where everyone is supposed to evacuate and put himself in danger in order to make a movie about the guy who put himself in danger. I mean, and so that's kind of what Herzog does. Yeah, if he died that way, he'd probably think that's his like, you know, dying on the battlefield type thing, like an honor to die that way. So right, but you know, one other thing we should mention is he's uh, he, uh, you know, like you said, more of a pop cultural figure. Also, as an actor, Mandalorian, he had a great supporting role in the Mandalorian this past year, and some good Herzog speeches in there. He did, and that was very uh, certainly a clever thing of of John Favreau and the producers on The Mandalorian to cast Herzog, knowing that he would bring that presence to it and that it would fit in with the the vibe that they were going for on that show. So, uh, yeah, he's always welcome when you see him as an actor. He's uh, he's one of the villains in that Tom Cruise movie, Jack Reacher, and just random things that you can tell that he's just amused by the fact that he was asked to do this, and he so he shows up and just plays himself essentially. And we like that. We do. Bruno S., as we mentioned, uh, was was a Herzog favorite. Uh, he didn't really act after the couple movies that he made with Herzog. He uh, had a later sort of career as a painter and continued as a street musician and, and was sort of a beloved figure in Germany. There's a couple of uh, documentaries made about him later in his life, not by Herzog, but by others. Yeah, like um, two at least, I think, documentaries. Yeah, and I'm not, I don't know how widely available those are here, and I'm not familiar with them. But uh, as you mentioned, of course, after he died, Herzog had that quote about how great he was. Clemens Scheitz also worked with Herzog again. He was in Herzog's Nosferatu, which was a year or two later, and he died in 1980. So, and, and Eva Mattis, as we mentioned, the only like sort of regular working actor in this film who, who did have a child with Herzog and was in several of his films, several Fassbinder films, and continues as a working actor. And she's done a lot of German TV. And I don't think she's someone we see in the US really, but she she's had a long career beyond this film as possibly the most slash only normal person in this movie, could we say? Possibly. Uh, a movie we've referenced in the past, Josh, that we both love, 24-Hour Party People. Um, Ian Curtis, lead singer of Joy Division, uh, subject of that and Control, and it's reported and in both of the movies uh, that this is what the movie he was watching before he killed himself, before he hanged himself. So they show clips of this movie in uh, both of those films in the background. And um, the other musician who killed himself, Elliot Smith, big, big fan of the movie. Rat Tat Tat references it, indie band. And uh, the last thing, little little nicer than those uh, first two. Uh, the Meyerowitz stories, uh, Noah Baumbach. Uh, the dog's name is uh, Bruno, and they say probably uh, uh, in honor of Bruno S. here. I mean, I feel like Bruno is a name that could be in honor of any. Well, Josh, okay, I'll just go back to the suicide of Ian Curtis and talk more about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is like as morbid as that is, you can see that this is a movie that someone who is feeling suicidal would connect with. And that this is a movie that is, again, as maybe as 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 
amusing as it is in its own way, it's very much a movie about despair and about dreams being shattered and about life not giving you what you want. So I can absolutely see someone who is feeling depressed and potentially suicidal having that kinship with this movie, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, right. and we hope you're not listeners. And if you are, call uh, one of those hotlines because we don't want you to kill yourself. No, 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 we don't. And uh, but I, I mean, I think that's uh, in a weird way, a testament to the way that this movie creates a, a vibe that it's going for, uh, I guess. I'm sure Herzog would also not want anyone to kill themselves having seen his film. Yeah. So on that wonderful note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you really did it, Josh. That, that is Strosek. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on social media. Yeah, but what's the point? Really? What's the point <laughs> of anything? Uh, I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. J Harris Comedy on Twitter. Go for Jason.com. Go for Jason Letterboxd. Awesome Movie Year Facebook. Instagram website. Awesome Movie Pod Twitter. <laughs> Thank you for that. Is Werner Herzog on social media? I feel like it's on the one hand would be amazing, but on the other hand, he would probably have just like such contempt for it. I'm sure there are definitely like fake Twitter accounts that just post like Herzogian, you know, uh, thought paragraphs per day or whatnot. Yeah, that seems likely. Well, other than that, you can follow me. Uh, you can find me at joshbellhateseverything.com at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook at Signal Bleed on Twitter and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts like this one and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And if you want some dark music to go along with all these dark thoughts that this movie introduces, uh, check out my new website, bydavidrosen.com with all my uh, music stuff, which I tend to specialize in dark music. So. Yeah. Although you have, we've got our theme song here, which isn't really, I don't which, know if you have... which is very outside of my usual range. No, he I, does I really pushed myself for you, you guys. Sound, you've soundtracked many, uh, many things for me. And I don't ever be like, oh, I need something dark. You you can work to the projects need, Dave. Yeah, Dave's got a lot of range Thanks. musically. Thanks, guys. Uh, and you can hear more of Dave's music if you sign up on Patreon at By David Rosen, where we also have some bonus episodes of Awesome Movie Year from our recent 1996 season. Bonus stuff from Piecing It Together and All Rice, No Beans, as well as some great David Rosen music. So support us there. We would very much appreciate it. Everyone counts. I think we we said last episode we have a goal of one new patron. So we're working we're working towards that. We're gonna get there soon. It's good to have goals. Yes. So Jason, what do we have in our next episode? It's my personal pick, Josh, and uh, we got a lot of major figures in this season, and uh, this guy is as major as they come. Although maybe he doesn't get the credit for it. Oh, certainly the legend of comedy. It's Mel Brooks. It's high anxiety. I'm very excited. For and that it. is a Mel Brooks film that I've not seen. So that is going to be interesting to check out. Tune in next time for High Anxiety. And thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. Back to the abyss with all of you. <laughs>